Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, will be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What comes to mind when you think of freedom? I suspect that uh, there are many things that may enter your minds. I just did a search on the internet this week and some images popped up and put a few of them on the screen. There are all kinds of things that we think about when we think about freedom. And what we find as we read through the scriptures is that freedom is a significant part of the kingdom of God. In the hymn we sang earlier of Charles Wesley's Anne Can It Be, that third verse talks about my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose and forth and followed thee. The other songs that, we, that we've sung today that talk about freedom, there are things in our lives that we think about with freedom. But the thing that, I, that comes to my mind as I, as I ponder that is, is I think that often the idea of kingdom freedom is not exactly what Jesus intended it to be, the thought in our minds. We find out, again, as we look through this passage, that part of the, the idea of freedom that Jesus comes to bring is, is a glimpse of the ultimate freedom that everyone in Christ will experience on the day when Jesus reappears and ushers in the kingdom in all of its fullness. We get a glimpse of that every time Jesus heals the sick, every time Jesus casts out demons. And we see that throughout this story, that Jesus is revealing the nature of the kingdom. We talked last week about this a little bit and also about how Jesus silences the demons, and that's mentioned here again. And I think that's be one reason for that is because the demons have a tendency to want to skew the kingdom. And when it comes to what kingdom freedom is about, the demons are going to want to skew the idea that Jesus comes to reveal and to make possible. And so he doesn't let them speak. Up to this point, the, the freedom that Jesus has revealed and the nature of the kingdom he's revealed has been sort of in a, in a generic way. And now as we come to this passage, we find a person. And this person is Simon's mother-in-law. They come to the house after uh, meeting with all these people. They come, I assume, probably to get a little rest and to eat. And as they enter the house, they discover that Simon's mother-in-law is very ill, a very high fever. They mention it to Jesus, and I assume ask him if he will do something about it. He says, sure. He goes to her room, and he heals her. As she, after she's healed, she gets up, and she serves the meal to them. Now, in our 21st century mind, we're thinking, man, is there no rest for this woman? Right? I mean, here she is in down to bed with this fever, and she gets up, and now she has to, she has to do stuff. I think there's a few things going on there. Number one, it does probably tell us the power of the healing of Jesus. You know, in our, in, in our, the healings that, we often, that often take place in our bodies now, especially as we work through medicine and the gifts that God's given, God has given people to learn and to know and to help us, it takes a lot of time. You get the sense here that she is healed fully, completely, immediately. And so she has the energy to get up and do that. But I think the other part of this is it's just a general part of that culture, and it's a general part of probably of her nature. It's an expression of gratitude that Jesus has healed her, and, the, and the, the best thing she can do in that moment is to take care of the needs that they have feeding them. There is something in this response that I think 
speaks to us about the freedom of, of the kingdom and the freedom of the gospel in our lives, we tend to think that freedom means I can now do whatever I want to do. But this passage seems to imply that when we experience freedom in Christ, it leads us not to selfishness but to service. We are set free, not so that people can serve us and people can, we can do whatever we want to, but we're set free so that we can serve others. I think sometimes we think of, of the freedom in Christ as sort of like being on a cruise ship and we sit back and we're just sitting in the deck chair and all the angels are just taking care of us. When you read the scriptures, you find the people who are most free in Christ are the people then who live their lives serving him and serving others. I think that's the nature of the freedom of the kingdom. It's not self-absorbed, it's self-giving. And we see that here. We see that in, in this woman's response to Jesus and we see this over and over again in not only the works of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but on throughout all the rest of the scriptures. But this serving that, that comes out of our freedom, that we have this freedom to give ourselves away, is rooted in our relationship with the Father. The story kind of turns uh, when, you, when you get to the section where Jesus now goes out early in the morning and he, begin, and he prays. And, and we find in this a sense, not just that Jesus comes to reveal the nature of the Father, but Jesus comes and, and builds relationship with the Father. He spends time with the Father. And the thing that always comes to my mind when I read this passage is, if Jesus needs to spend this kind of time with the Father, how much more do I? How much more do we? That our time with the Father, building relationship with the Father, opening our hearts to the Father, and our minds to the Father, our spirits, our wills to the Father, is essential to living in the kind of freedom that Jesus comes to bring to us. It's hard for us to really grasp that, and I think it's hard for the disciples to grasp that too. When they come to Jesus, they, they say, we've been searching for you, everybody's looking for you. And the essence of that is not, wow, there's all these great things happening. The essence is, Jesus, what in the world are you doing out here? Why are you wasting your time out here? What's going on? What are you doing? They can't quite grasp the importance of what Jesus is doing in, in uniting his heart with, and will and mind with the Father's heart and will and mind. And if you step back from that to this moment, you, you can sort of understand why. Now, I, I, it struck me as, as I was listening to Jess's children's sermon this morning that as she takes us, talks about the passage right before this, and it's a significant passage, and I think it's significant understanding the passage that begins with in verse 29. It's the calling of the disciples. Jesus calls them, and as she's mentioned, they gave up, they left immediately, and they left everything. It is a significant thing that these disciples do. They leave their livelihood, they leave family, they leave it all to follow Jesus. And I suspect there's something in that that they're saying to Jesus, look, you do realize how much we gave up for you, right? You do realize everything that we have done to follow you, and 
we should get some rewards out of this, shouldn't we? See, I think they're measuring success as fishermen measure success. If you're out on the beach in the morning and the guys come in from fishing and you say to them, so did you have a good night of fishing? Was it successful? Oh, yeah, it was successful. It was great. So did you get a lot of fish? No, you know what? We didn't catch anything. Wait, I thought it was successful. It was. We had such a great time sharing together. We had such great conversations in the boat. You know, we, we hardly even remember to throw the net out. We were just so engaged with each other the whole time. It was a wonderful bonding experience for us. That way, it was an awesome night. So successful. I'm not sure that's the answer you would get if you asked Andrew and Peter and James and John. Success for a fisherman is a haul of fish. That's what success looks like. And if your net is empty, you're unsuccessful. And I think they bring that mindset into following Jesus. The, the success of following Jesus is seeing the crowds. Watching all these people be enamored with Jesus. I think we can relate to that. And they come to Jesus and they say, look, we've got these huge crowds of people following you. They want to be a part of you. This is awesome. As someone said to me this week, it's almost as if the disciples are sort of like groupies on a rock star. You know, where they, they want the rock star to become more famous and the crowd to be bigger because then they become more important. And I think the disciples see it that way. And Jesus is trying to help them understand that's not exactly how the kingdom works. Because our calling is not to do great things for God. Our calling is to ask the Holy Spirit to unite our hearts and our minds and our wills with the heart, mind, and will of the Father. And out of that, then we do things for the kingdom. But so often... We want to just do the great things without the preparation time. I suspect that might be why when disciples say to Jesus, look, let's people, all kinds of people are here. Let's stay here. And Jesus says, no, there are other people out there. Let's go travel. It seems to me that maybe the disciples are saying, Jesus, we are really building a power base here. Things are really starting to take shape. We are getting a huge following. This is awesome. Everywhere you go here, people know you now, and people are flocking to you, and we can do something with this. And in fact, if this power base becomes strong enough and big enough, the synagogue is going to have to pay a lot more attention to us. And the temple is going to have to start paying attention to us. And even the Romans are going to have to start paying attention to us and listen to us because now we have some clout. So let's just stay here and let's build this thing into something amazing. And Jesus says, that's not why I've come. That's not why I'm here. I am here to help people know the Father. And it's not about building a power base. It's about getting the word out. So let's go. And he goes out to other villages and towns that may or may not accept him. They may reject him, and some of them do. But that's the nature of the kingdom. Jesus is set free from, the, from needing to impress people. Jesus is set free from needing to, to be enamored with power Jesus is set free simply to do the will of the Father out of his relationship with the Father. And the disciples just don't get it. 
They're upset with Jesus. Why are you out here? People are upset with, with Jesus, which is probably why the disciples are upset with Jesus. And, and you can almost hear them saying, Jesus, I just don't understand why you're spending so much time out here. People are waiting for you. There are needs, and they need to be met. Oswald Chambers once said something to the effect of, when we practice the spiritual disciplines the way God intends them to be, when we engage in the means of grace with all of our hearts, there's a good chance that there will be times when other people will be inconvenienced. And I think that's true. But I also think that, that since the people might be inconvenienced by, our nurt- by the nurturing of our faith is rooted in the fact that we are willing to be inconvenienced in order to nurture our faith. Mark tells us that that, that evening, after sunset, he says, he makes it clear that, that it's, it's night, people are flocking to Peter's house. And Jesus spends, I suspect, well into the night time healing people Casting out demons. It's late. And the next thing Mark says is, early the next morning, before sunrise, Jesus is out in a solitary place with his Father. Any way in which other people might be inconvenienced by him is rooted in the fact that no one is more inconvenienced than Jesus himself. It's our mindset. It's the attitude that we have. Sometimes we might say, well, you know what? People are going to have to wait because I just, I just have to do this. And I just, I, you know, there's almost a sense of pride about, about our, our spiritual walk. And that's not what we're talking about. It is this mindset that says, I am willing to sacrifice myself to spend time with the Father. Because I know that in that sacrifice, ultimately, there is freedom to be who God calls me to be and to do what God calls me to do. And it's out of that sacrifice where we build a relationship with the Father, we then have the power to minister for Him. If the purpose of our walk with Jesus is to do, if the purpose is doing, then quite frankly, we will have little time to pray. There's just simply too much to do. Little time to engage in the scriptures. There's too much to do. Little time for for engaging in all the means of grace. But if the purpose of our relationship with the Father is being, then we can't not pray and be in the scriptures and practice the spiritual disciplines and engage in the means of grace. I think our, our struggle with that is, is probably identified when we, when we hear the, what Martin Luther had to say about praying. Luther said, I have so much to do every day that I can't spend any less than two hours a day in prayer. And he said, there are some days where I have even more to do, and on those days, two hours isn't enough. And we step back from that and go, wait, that, that doesn't seem like the right formula. If you have so much to do, then you don't have time to pray. You've got to be doing. And Luther understood what we see modeled in Jesus. No, it's the other way around. It is this mindset that says, 
First and foremost, our freedom is rooted in relationship with the Father. And then out of that comes the freedom to serve and to minister and to do. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus comes upon a a, a ruckus with his disciples and he asks them, what's going on? And a man steps forward and says, I brought my son to your disciples who had a demon and they were unable to cast him out. They were unable to cast out the demon. And so Jesus casts out the demon and later the disciples say, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Why couldn't we do this great thing for the kingdom? And Jesus says, because this kind can only come out by prayer. It's only in the relationship with the Father that we have the power to to do out of our being. But it's the right kind of practicing of the spiritual disciplines. Because sometimes we we do them in a way that that is is just, well, I've, I've finished that, I'm done, let's move on. And I'm reminded of the parable Jesus tells about the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. They go to the temple to pray. And, and he says the Pharisee comes to pray and he says, Father, thank you that you've blessed me in all these ways. And thank you for that, that I, I do all the right things and I'm not like this tax collector. And the tax collector can't even lift his head to heaven. He just says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, guess which one walks out in right relationship with the Father? It's that kind of spirit. That kind of mindset. It says, Any, all of the doing that I may accomplish is rooted in being. All the freedom that I have in Christ to serve is rooted in being in relationship with him. At the end of this section, Mark tells us that Jesus traveled through all the villages of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, and casting out demons. And you get the feeling when you read that that what he's saying is that, that he, he didn't just, he didn't go to the synagogue and then other places cast out the demons, but I suspect many of the demons were in the synagogue just as they were in the passage right before the one we've read today. Where, the, where they are, they are, the man is in the synagogue. He's in there to, to worship God and, he, and he's filled with the demon and Jesus casts out the demon. You see, the problem with our freedom is not people out there. The problem with our freedom is us. And we may need the demon of of misunderstanding the nature of freedom cast out of us. We may need to be set free from the mindset that says, all that matters is that I am doing things for the kingdom. And if I can spend time with God, fine, but really it's about doing. That's what the demons want us to think. That's what the evil one wants us to believe. But Jesus tells us that's in relationship with the Father, doing the will of the Father, asking continually for the Father to unite our hearts and our wills and our minds with the heart and the will of the mind of the Father. That is where freedom lies. The freedom to be, the freedom to serve, the freedom to grow, the freedom to do. You know, someone reminded me this week that this this, uh, passage where the disciples come searching for Jesus, he said it reminded them of the story in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is a boy, and his family has gone. He's 12 years old. His family's gone to Jerusalem 
And they, they head home with all the relatives and friends from Nazareth. And Mary and Joseph think Jesus is with other people. But when they get to Nazareth, he's not there. And in a panic, they race back to Jerusalem. And they spend three days looking for Jesus all throughout Jerusalem. And finally, they discover him in the temple having a theological discussion with the scribes and the Pharisees. And Mary is upset, as you can well imagine. And she says to him, I can't believe you put us through this. We have been searching all over for you. And Jesus seems to calmly say to her, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? And there's almost a sense in which that's exactly what Jesus is saying to the disciples. It really shouldn't surprise them that Jesus is out. They come looking for him and they say, Jesus, where have you been? And in essence, he's saying to them, didn't you know I would be with my father? Because that's where freedom is born. In surrender to the father. In joyful willing, loving, sincere surrender to the Father. We're all looking for freedom. Christ is telling us and the Father is calling us to find it in Him. Holy Father, we thank You for Your grace of calling us to you and of desiring relationship with you, setting us free that we might serve you and others. Give us that mind, that desire. Through the grace of Christ we pray. Amen.